This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to Cherry Picking, everybody, and thank you for joining us. It wouldn't be Cherry Picking if it was just myself. So, of course, I've got my main man next door to me, and that is Manny. How are you doing, Manny? All good. Thank you, Craig. All good. Um, you know, knowing that we had um, a session tonight, I actually watched some good um, football from the Europa League um uh, playoffs. I saw Marseille and uh, Shakhtar Donetsk um, play out a very entertaining two-all draw. It really only came to life in the last half hour of the game, um, you know, with Aubameyang putting Marseille ahead and then, you know, crazily. Every, every time Marseille would go ahead, Shakhtar would equalise almost immediately. And Marseille's um, second goal was just into stoppage time. We thought that's the game done and dusted, but then Shakhtar came back and equalised. And then later on, I saw Milan put uh, Ren to the sword so, um, you know, there is some good, there are some fine teams in the Europa League. And um, obviously, I couldn't see the Conference League playoffs because they're not being street, um, screened. And, uh, you know, I'm not too, um, comp- um, I'm not too um, really impressed with some of those teams there. But uh, European football is always going to be intense, regardless of the level of competition, regardless of where it's being played. And, uh, after the Champions League games um, earlier on this week, um, I'm looking forward to next week and what might uh, come up. Yep, most definitely, most definitely. Well, I think there's one place to start um, this week's cherry picking, and that is at Goodison Park. Um, And, of course, the home of Everton. Now, earlier on this week... I had a very, very interesting conversation with Mike Gao about the situation at Reading Football Club and Dai Yong, um, who, of course, is a Chinese owner. Reading fans are desperate for him to sell the club, which he needs to sooner rather than later. Um, He's a man that is, A, you know, financially looks like in a lot of trouble. He's in a lot of trouble in both China and Hong Kong. Um, and the hope from Reading fans is that he needs to sell the club, needs money and capital as quickly as possible to fight what charges are going on in China. But, of course, this man 
he's a man that is very unpredictable. But of course, Mike is an Everton fan as well. And of course, Everton going through their own problems. And they've had the appeal that was due to actually be concluded as we speak today. So today being Thursday, I know everybody's watching this on Friday, but it was due to be concluded today. Um, But it hasn't been. Now, I want to give my views on this. And then, Manny, I I want to open it up to yourself as well, because this is a really, really interesting topic. So one thing that myself and Mike spoke about was the transfer market during this January window. Now, a lot of clubs are afraid of breaking the profit and sustainability rules that have come in. Now, Everton have been docked 10 points and they've also been subject to more points deductions, which are incoming or supposedly incoming, um, you know, alongside Nottingham Forest. Now, there's some real dangers here. And, you know, this is why the market has, you know, effectively frozen in this January window. In my eyes, in from what Mike said as well, when we add it all together. Now, if you imagine, and you are the owner of Manchester City. Now, let's take this to extremes. Manchester City. Now, Everton are in trouble. But let's say, for example, you want to buy a player from Bournemouth. For example, let's say Dominic Solanke. Right, so there's a transfer fee that is being paid by Manchester City to Bournemouth. Now, we would look elsewhere, maybe lower down the pyramid to somebody else. But because Manchester City are watching their own backs, you know, from what I understand, we're not out of the woods either. You know, we're, we're towing a very thin line, as are a lot of clubs out there. As a Newcastle, uh, Chelsea have probably got overdone it. As of Man City, we'll come back to those two in a moment. Man yep. United, it sounds like they've overdone it. Um, it's possible that Arsenal are probably towing the line. Yep, yep. Effectively, yep. what I'm saying here is that every single club is towing the line. So they're trying to actually stop, you know, themselves getting docked points. Now, this is why there is a lot of these deals, like for NSU now, who we can sign in the summer, if we wish to, for, I think it's 25 or £20 million. So that's spread it out. Now, there's a big problem with this, and big problem with FFP, because it's frozen the market. So although, yes, you don't want Man City keeps snapping up players from ourselves or Everton or somebody like that. But, you know, it then goes downhill. So you've got other teams in the championship. You've got the likes of, OK, Reading's probably a bad example because it, the owner is a basket case. He's a owner that, you know, obviously is dodgy. He's asset stripping. Um, he's already sold two players um, for dirt cheap. I think it is even more than that, actually. Um, so probably a bad example. But now what you've got is 
you've got you've kind of removed the whole of the structure of the transfer market because clubs are protecting their own back because of this Everton situation. Now, there's two options here. The first option is you give Everton their points back. You open it up. Teams are feeling a little bit more comfortable to spend because that's why I don't think they're spending because they don't want to be hit with this 10 points deduction plus more like Forrest are going to get as well. Um, the other option is you stand by what you've done and you keep those minus 10 points with Everton and then give them the points deduction on top. Now, this is not going to please Everton fans as it rightly shouldn't. And I think that there is no right or wrong way in this, you know, for the Premier League. They're in a no-win situation because if they remove those points from Everton, teams are going to think that they can appeal and they get it written off. They do what they want. You know, Man City, why should they be scared if the points go get taken back, you know, given back to Everton? If you leave the points deducted with Everton, the question is, is the Man City charges. Now, this is what I don't understand, is Man City have got 115 charges. Chelsea have got slightly less, but it's still a lot. You've got Manchester United out there who, you know, are also supposedly done some wrongdoing. You have to, if you punish Everton, you have to punish Man City. You have to punish, you know, whichever teams go over it. You know, if we are guilty of it, you have to punish us. You can't just punish one club and then say, well, Man City's charges are going to take four years to conclude. Because four years into the future, Everton could be relegated this season. You know, Man City being deducted points, and let's be honest, the points that they'll probably be deducted will probably relegate them. And, you know, if they get relegated in four years' time, that's not going to be any good to Everton if they're playing in the championship. And like Mike Gow quite clearly said, if Everton get relegated because of this, they could they will most definitely end up in administration. Now, Everton are a big club. I'm sure there'll be interest. I'm sure because they've got a big stadium, you know, they will be okay in the long run. Um, as I think Reading will be. I think, you know, the, the pair of them will be absolutely fine. But, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is, A, Everton can't be punished and Man City, you know, get away with it for four years. But secondly, you know, when you look down the pyramid... If this happens to another club, say, for example, you know, you've got in the lower reaches of League Two, somebody like Sutton United, for example, or Bournemouth back in the day, to be fair. Uh If there was a club, you know, who was wrongdoing in that league, then You've got to do it, hit all clubs with the same brush. Um, I don't think there's a right or I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I don't think the Premier League know the answer. The Premier League have made a rod for their own back by deducting Everton these points 
without actually progressing what was going to go on with Man City beforehand. You know, I'm no way advocating cheating here, but what do we do? How does this get sorted out? Well, it's simple. It's from the sounds of it. You know, you can't reverse the deduction. If you reverse the deduction, the deduction then all you're going to do is pretty much, um, you know, go back to the status quo and everything um, and the whole mess starts all over again. Yeah. It's like having, you know, sentenced um, a petty thief to jail time. You can't just um, suddenly exonerate him if he's, um, if, if, if even if, I mean, if he hasn't been, you know, proven innocent, you can't just exonerate him and put him back on the streets. But uh, what's interesting is how you mentioned um, that several clubs, Craig, um, didn't really indulge in any um, uh, January signings. But historically, if you take a look at it, a large number of the really big money purchases have been made only during the summer. And, um, of course, you know, those will include, obviously, the likes of Declan Rice and Kai Havertz, who we signed for a combined £170 million, um, Mm -hmm. or there, thereabouts. And, uh, you know, in January, you don't rarely get um, too many big money signings. Most of these signings will probably be players who are, you know, being um, they are they will be free transfers or they will be players who will get, you know, um, snapped up on cut price deals. One exception was when, if memory serves me right, we sort of entered into a three-way um, deal to get Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to come to Arsenal. And that included Olivier Giroud going to Chelsea, Michi Batshuayi going on loan from Chelsea to Dortmund, and then Aubameyang leaving Borussia Dortmund and coming to play for us. And, um, you know, we absolutely loved um, uh, Oba during his time there. And I'm always going to be grateful to him for stepping up to win the FA Cup for us, our only silverware under Mikel Arteta. But yeah. um, Olivier Giroud obviously went on to win bigger and better things with both Chelsea and the France national team. I don't know what's happened with um, Batshuayi, but that particular deal did um, involve us, um, you know, uh, spending quite a bit of dosh. And now, of course, there's been talk, delusional as it is, that with Kylian Mbappe set to leave on PSG, potentially on a free transfer, Arsenal would be eager to snap him up. And this is where it gets ridiculous, because... This is a bloke, um, Craig, who has starred in two World Cup finals, obviously winning one and losing the other. And um, he's been doing the business consistently at club level for PSG, although they've still flattered to deceive so far. I know they did win the first leg of their uh, round of 16 clash um, yesterday, I think it was, against Real Sociedad. But they're going to face even bigger tests in the next rounds. And uh, they still have to beat um, Sociedad in Spain. And... um, so if Mbappe were to leave, um, a lot of Arsenal fans have been talking about the possibility of him coming. And uh, there's been talk about how if a player like that um, comes on, you know, even if he will be fr- um, free, technically, some of these really big, um, big, big players will charge, will ask for huge sign-on fees. So that's more money yeah. being parted away. And so my issue is, I really don't want to run the risk of breaking the bank again, because, um, you know, Declan Rice is value for money. But aside from a few goals here and there, Kai Havertz has really not been able to convince uh, me and several other Arsenal fans. If he doesn't score a goal, he'll just drift through. He's a little bit like, um, you know, Graham Chapman from Monty Python does um, <laughs> nothing, literally, you know, during the uh, um, during the group's um, writing sessions. And then suddenly he'll come up with a brainwave and say, let's do it this way. And it yeah. goes on to, um, you know, prove successful. Uh, the... Uh, 
you know, the uh, dead parrot sketch is a perfect example of that. And then uh, occasionally he'd come up with something completely off the wall. Lemon curry. <laughs> but the problem is we can't afford another Graham Chapman like player in Kai Havertz. And although Declan Rice is proving himself um, really worthy, especially after that display against his old cronies at West Ham and big up to him for refusing to celebrate when he scored that sixth goal, by the way. Um, you know, the jury will still be out on him unless he can lead us to the promised land in terms of trophies. If not this this season, the next season. The next season, if we don't win anything, then really serious questions are going to be asked and heads will roll. But again, this whole idea of cracking down on clubs spending too much, spending well beyond their means, does also in many ways have a knock-on effect going upwards because, you know, we don't have... Uh, we have billionaire owners, but um, for, for long periods of time, they haven't been willing to, um, you know, provide um, us with the money we needed. They certainly never helped Unai Emery. Now they've um, funded Mikel Arteta to the tune of 600 to 700 million quid. And um, although he has bought some good players, some other players have not really um, done too well for us, it has to be said. And uh, with Manchester City, of course, um, they struggled in the first half of the season because obviously Ilkay Gundogan and Riyad Mahrez left the club and you could see how their loss, their departures had an effect on City's fortunes early on. Now, of course, they're coming back up. I keep saying that they are the best second-half team um, probably in history. Um, of course, Manchester United under Alex Ferguson used to be the epitome of the second-half team. But, you know, with City doing it with such, um, you know, clinicality, you know, you can't really look um, beyond them. But they also have money. They have money bags owners. They spend um, far too much money. You just think that they're going to get caught. And so we also, as you said, Craig, we have to toe the line. And even Spurs will eventually have to toe the line as well. Because um, if you remember when um, you've done your Tottenham previews with Eugene and others, they've been telling you about the stadium, how beautiful it is, how much money has gone into the club, and how effectively that club has become too big to, you know, um, fall off the radar. They can't fall off the radar, but now more and more pressure will be on them to deliver silverware. No matter how good the football um, they're playing right now under Ange Postacoglu, um, they're out of both domestic cups. I don't believe they will win the, uh, the Premier League, and they didn't have European football this season. So qualifying for the Champions League really is the best way to start. If they can qualify for some European football next season, that would be um, good for them. But they also have to be, be very, very careful. And so coming back to your question, I've said it before, you can't reverse the points deduction. But that means that you've also got to stick to your guns and say, you know what, we're going to start cracking down on a lot more teams. And if this forces clubs like Arsenal to, you know, really reevaluate our own issues um, uh, with regard to finances, then so be it. Under Arsene Wenger, mind you, we were always a very, um, you know, financially prudent club. But this time around, and a lot of my um, senior Arsenal um, fan friends can tell you, um, shout out to um, Jez Collins from Arsenal, the history and more, and uh, Warren from Warren, Warren's team talk and a few others. You know, they can tell you right now, Craig, that um, some of the purchase financial decisions and purchases that have been made have been dodgy to say the very least. We bought this fella named Marquinhos from uh, Sao Paulo. Um, apparently, he could have been bought for free. But our technical director, Edu, saw it fit to offer 
some a few million bob as means of a deal sweetener, maybe to try and build a relationship. Now, of course, Marquinhos is back in Brazil, and we might end up cutting him loose for next to nothing. We got rid of Pierre Emerick Aubameyang for next to nothing after spending quite a bit of dosh for him, and then we all uh, don't get me started on Mesut Ozil and that fiasco. So, um, you know, we also literally have to look at ourselves and start to wonder how we're spending our money. And one of these days, we're going to have to be audited. And if this means that, you know, we're going to have to watch our backs, we can forget about signing Kylian Mbappe, but we're going to have to make sure that we, um, you know, try and recoup money for certain players. And sadly, for some players, you know, the injury records are just going to be a huge um, stumbling block to selling them for some really, really good prices. I think the best bit of business we, we did in terms of, you know, recouping money for a player was um, one of the best bits of business, I think, was when we got um, something close to £20 million for Emmy Martinez, because at that time, mind you, he was um, a reserve goalkeeper who played, um, you know, some games for us. Most of the time he was out on loan. But that season, you know, he come, came into the team. He shone magnificently, won the FA Cup. I wanted him to stay and be our number one. But Arteta arrogantly decided to, um, you know, make him, as the, make him the reserve for the following season and keep Bernd Leno in the job. And Martinez said, you know what? I've got ambitions that you can't support. I want to play football regularly. And when um, clubs got wind of that, Aston Villa were willing to, you know, comparatively break the bank for him. And, you know, they paid 20 million and 20 million quid was considered to be a pretty good fee for a guy who, you know, uh, just came into um, prominence in the last six months of his time with us and, uh, you know, really hadn't played too many games. So it was a bit of a good bargain. We used that money to buy Thomas Partey. But the worst part is, Craig, we ended up selling Bernd Leno after another season for three million, Bob. So you can yeah. imagine now, we just we we are absolutely hopeless at trying to recoup money for the players we buy, and it's as if our sense of financial intelligence and prudence is um, found lacking. So we definitely could be forced to toe the line with this. And so, you know, the Premier League, yes, they've made a rod for their own back. I agree because it means that you know they've got to try to apply this sort of. Um, you know, strictness on every single club who is found guilty. We see Nottingham yeah. Forest also potentially being hit with a 10-point deduction. And if the uh, the charges against City, myriad as they are, are eventually proven, then I, I'm going to tell you what, you know, um, the empire will not just crumble, it will literally, um, you know, it will crack and then have an almighty fall, believe you me. So this has to happen. And I do hope that Everton will be okay in the long run, as you said, because they do have history. They've won the league um, yeah. several times. They also won a, um, the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, back in the day of court days, of course, under Howard Kendall, they were one of the top teams in England. So, yeah, they should. Uh, and don't forget the history with Dixie Dean and others. So they should, in the long run, be fine. They do have a history and a, and a stadium. But again, they have to be careful because, um, as I've said, we can't take for granted that if you do get demoted or relegated, you'll come straight back up. Look at Portsmouth, for instance. Yep, completely agree. And financial fair play has to be there for a reason. You know, you can't have teams going, you know, completely into the red like Portsmouth. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, as sad as it is to say, Redna, Harry Redknapp was... Um, 
a part of that. He obviously, um, you know, brought Portsmouth a great deal of success, but then from there, things ended up taking a turn for the worse. And it was tragic for me personally to see um, how that club really fell in those two years. I mean, they did have two FA Cup finals, but sandwiched in between them, I mean, you know, the fall was just um, just terrible. And yet, you just you get the, sadly get the feeling, Craig, that the more clubs um, are there who believe in who will believe in spending a little bit beyond their means and will try to um, want what they can't have because you know their eyes are bigger than their tummies, as we would say, the more yeah. likely you're going to see this stuff happening. Yeah, completely agree. And, you know, we had the lead situation. I think you have to have the financial fair play because we've seen it at so many teams. The championship is a great example for this. Derby. Now, if Derby got promoted to the Premier League, you know, that from that playoff final, let's be honest, Derby County would have been okay. They wouldn't have been in the situation that they were. Mel Morris spent a hell of a lot trying to get them there, but they did fail. And what happened next? They went through all sorts of issues. The problem is, is this Everton situation. Now, Everton aren't, you know, yes, they have broken rules. You know, some of that is down to the stadium that they're building. I don't believe the stadium costs are on there, but because of, you know, and the nature, and to be honest, it's not a great deal over, you know, in all respects, it's not a great deal over what, you know, the rulings were, but it stagnated the market. Teams are now thinking, and, you know, AFC Bournemouth, for example, you know, how much have we spent? You know, I'm sure that Bill Foley went, you know, into this transfer window and thought, I can't spend any money. You know, I might have the money in the pocket to spend. You know, I might be able to invest in this side, but I can't because there is these limits. And if we go over these limits, we put ourselves at risk of what happened to Nottingham Forest and Everton. Um, But, and this is the bit that irks me, is the Forest and Everton, right, okay, if we go with the rulings that they're bang to rights, you know, um, and I feel sorry for Everton. Forest, I feel sorry for as well. I think it was a bit of a necessity that they had to spend quite a bit of money. Maybe Maranakis over has, has overdone it, so probably, you know, less sympathy maybe to them as there is to Everton, who, you know, let's be fair, you know, the stadium and... You know, the situation has over... I think a lot of that's got to do with COVID as well. But you do those two teams. You've then... You've got to... You can't deduct Nottingham Forest 10 points and Everton another 8 points. That could relegate both of those teams. Whereas Manchester City and Chelsea get away scot-free for this year... Whereas Man City's 115 charges, what they have to do, the Premier League, and Richard Masters has to do, is he has to go into it and go, right, okay, what is the most easy to prove? Sod going for the ones that, you know, are most complex. Go for the ones, right, what's easiest to prove? What of these 115 charges can I see 
that Man City have quite clearly broken. Right, okay, there's that one. What's the penalty attached to that one? There's that one. What's the penalty? You can't go, they can't go through a whole the whole 115 and say, oh, that's going to take four years. Because there's two clubs here that we're talking about who could be relegated merely on, you know, rules that probably weren't that clear until this season. Um, and I think it's saturated. I, th- I think, honestly, think, Manny, it has saturated the market because you've now got Man City afraid to spend. You've got Arsenal afraid to spend. You've got all these teams afraid to spend. And that money filters down the leagues. You know, who could have been making the step up from the championship? You know, who could have been signed from the championship to play in the Premier League during this window? You know, who could have made the step up from League One into the championship? And all that money... It's just stagnated. And now you've got situations where clubs are in League One who probably their whole benefit is, well, the whole mantra is on selling. You know, buy cheap, sell for a decent profit. What about those clubs? Um, You've got to have FFP. I completely agree. The profit and sustainability rules, you've got to have. Um, But you can't stop the market like the Premier League has here. And I think Richard Masters has got... I think Richard Masters has to resign. I think he has to resign over this. Ideally, you know, that is what what should happen. The only problem is, you know, um, we've seen um, even worse levels of incompetence, um, even higher up in the UK government, and yet um, we haven't seen too many um, uh, resignations. Even those who have res- um, who resigned, I mean, we can't give them credit for, you know, stepping up and doing the right thing because, I mean, they're yeah. supposed to do that. And, um, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, how the, um, how the Premier League have indeed made a rod for their own backs by, you know, cracking down on Everton. And we both agree, you know, that we do need to have have fair play. So going back to what the point you made about the uh, myriad charges, ideally you would think that you could just um, go up, um, that you could just, you know, prosecute City for the uh, more immediate charges and defer the rest to um, later. But um, in reality, Craig, that's not really how the legal system works. The legal system, of course, you know, yeah. for all of its um, faults um, and what have you, and there are many, I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, does um, have a great deal of um, protocol attached to it. And protocol will dictate that, you know, everything has to be done um, systematically. And if it means that um, City's case will have to be looked at in its entirety, then, you know, so be it. You can't really do um, too much about that. But uh, I think we can agree on one thing, namely that, uh, you know, that City have to be, um, you know, given some kind of uh, punishment. City have to be dealt with really harshly here. And uh, the sad part is it does look as though, given the um, myriad number of charges, it will probably take a little bit of a long time. And as you say, quite rightly, Craig, a few clubs could lose um, their 
Premier League status, they could lose their livelihood. It's um, a horrible, horrible, you know, situation, and it's not something that anyone should have to, um, you know, um, it's, it's not some, something that anyone should have to go through. But you know, the rules dictate sadly that that is the way it's happening. But if there is any consolation for what it's worth, I would like to think that with the um, action being taken against um, City, if um, you know, eventually. I get the point that justice delayed could very well be justice denied, but for the myriad number of crimes that they will have committed, if they are indeed found guilty, uh, the punishment will be more severe. Let's not forget what happened to uh, Marseille back in the day. They, of course, were you know um, European Cup winners, the flavour of um, the entire continent. But um, for one or two small crimes regarding match fixing, they literally had the book thrown at them, and yeah. uh, they were forced to have to. You know, um, I think they were given a demotion from then League Earn had to fight their way back. They couldn't buy players, so they had to make do with a few free transfers, including a certain Anthony Cascarino, former Ireland international, as many of us will know. And um, eventually they fought their way back. Way back. And of course, um, you know, given City's um, wherewithal, they will certainly um, fight their way back, just like um, Rangers did when they were hit with the... Um, uh, the huge punishment with regard to um, financial irregularities and what have you. And now, of course, they're back in um, the Scottish Premiership. But uh, with regard to clubs like Everton and Forest, um, I get what you're saying and that, you know, you can't fit, um, you have to feel some sort of sympathy for Everton. And it really shouldn't be the case that they, um, you know, get the bulk of the punishment and have the riot act read to them while City, in comparison, get away scot-free. But you just, I think all we can do though, and I hate to say this, I really do, I don't like this any more than you do, is that um, eventually the, um, um, the justice system will pretty much um, have its final say and will determine if, um, you know, City are indeed guilty. And if they are indeed guilty, then we just have to accept that they will receive their punishment. Um, it is a case of justice delayed feeling like justice denied, but all we can do is just you know, roll with the punches. I don't think there's there's any much we can do about that, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you, you're spot on there. Um, it's, the Premier League have made their, you know, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to overturn this points deduction for Everton. Um, do I think it should happen? Personally, I think it should. But at the same time, you know, it is set in a precedent at that point in time. It's set in a precedent at the moment, really. Um, you know, that clubs have to toe this line. You know, if it gets overturned, it sets a precedent that, you know, clubs can appeal and they can do what they want. So the Premier League and Richard Masters, like I say, should resign because he's brought the game into disrepute. You know, under his watch, you know, we've had VAR introduced, which, you know, let's be honest, isn't particularly, you know, been implemented with any class. We're now, um, you know, and I know it's a different, whole different thing, but, you know, we're, we're now talking about blue cards, which I think personally is one of the most ridiculous things that you could suggest. Um, the other suggestion I've got here, and, you know, this is quite a unique one um, and something I put to Mike and I said it makes sense, is a golden share in each club. So the Premier League 
the EFL and any leagues below that, so non-league, you know, they have a golden share of maybe just even 5% in each club. Now, what this is going to stop is going to be, firstly, the Premier League have then got full visibility of what's going on at Everton. They've got full visibility of what's going on at Bournemouth. Got whole visibility of what's going on at Arsenal or Chelsea or Man City. So they can nip it in the bud there and then. They've got whole visibility of the situation at Reading. Now, let's start off with the Everton situation. They could then, therefore, say, look, you're overspending. You know, this is what you need to do now. You're under a transfer embargo for two transfer windows. And then, you know, to bring their spending into line. They can nip it in the bud before it becomes an issue, which has become now for Everton. We go to the other end of the spectrum. We go to the spectrum that contains Reading and Derby and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, clubs that are just generally being ran absolutely terribly. I know Derby aren't anymore, but they were at the time. At that point, because of that golden share that the EFL or the Premier League or you know, whichever league they're in has got, they have then got a say on that owner. And they can then save that club from the situation. It's still not going to be cut and dry, don't get me wrong, because that owner could have still spent, you know, say, for example, 180 million when you're in the championship. It's still not cut and dry, but at the same time, it gives clubs that bit more of an impetus and the EFL have then got that controlling stake that they can take over and wrestle control of somebody like Dai Yong or Mel Morris or Dejan Chanziri or, you know, of course, there's situations now at Blackburn Rovers as well um, with the Venki group. Um, all these situations, they can stop. What do you reckon of that suggestion? Like a golden share in each club? I like the idea um, that you've mentioned, Craig, about um, the Premier League having a little bit more of um, a say in everything. But um, I'm a little bit wary, though, as to how much control they should be given. That bit you mentioned there about, you know, dodgy owners coming in, that is absolutely brilliant because um, let's not forget... Um, you know, Leicester also, when they were brought up, uh, they were bought by the um, uh, Shinawatra family, of course. Um, you know, um, obviously a, a huge political um, family in uh, Thailand. Uh, they actually um, offered a scheme by which they could pay um, the money using um, lottery um, winnings in Thailand. Now, the, th the, thing, about, the thing about this is that if you're an if you're a bis, if you're an um, an owner of someone or you're um, trying to prospectively buy something, and you have this idea that um, you can possibly only provide the money in that particular form instead of liquid cash up front, you know I'm not necessarily saying that you should um, have um, liquid uh, pay everything with liquid cash immediately, yeah. but you know when you have a situation where every single amount of your purchase will be made by something that can't even be necessarily guaranteed, then that in itself could potentially be a bit of a red flag. 
And uh, don't get me wrong, Leicester did enjoy some wonderful success, most notably the um, premiership under Claudio Ranieri. And then Brendan Rodgers um, continued in that vein by helping them win the um, FA uh, Cup and also continually making them a top team. But then that season when he finally lost his job, um, you know, Leicester ended up uh, sadly going down and um, finances did play a role in it. But um, you can also see that um, the relative speed with which they've, uh, you know, fought hard to uh, be in a position to get back into the premiership immediately. They are, of course, top means that they are, in fact, fine. But all of these dodgy owners and the more I hear about Reading's owners, especially these ridiculous businessmen, you know, it angers me. How can these guys you know, who literally are, you know, the equivalent of Del Boy Gunner from, uh, uh, not Del Boy Gunner. <laughs> Sorry, Del, Del Boy. Boy. <laughs> Give me, mate. Del Boy Del Trotter. Boy. Del, Del Boy, Boy Trotter, Tr- from, <laughs> Trotter from Only Fools and Horses. You know, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, uh, them saying this time next year we'll be millionaires. This time next year I'll pay you um, the money in full or something like that. And, you know, you can't have these um, dodgy... Um, people who aren't even willing to guarantee how they will pay uh, the money getting that sort of um, an opportunity to have that kind of clout. And of course, when, you know, uh, Manchester City were brought, uh, were bought by, uh, you know, the um, Abu Dhabi Royal family and Khaldun al-Mubarak is the person who is um, pretty much, um, who's pretty much involved in all of that. You know, they at least um, had a guarantee that um, the money will, arrive almost immediately and that's what these um really wealthy arab um groups are able to do but the idea of course of um, having the premier league um you know have a golden share it's nice in theory but i'm just worried that it could bring about a few more um issues as to how much um you know it can do that because are you proposing therefore that the premier league will have um, an ownership stake in every single club involved. And would yeah. you want to have that um, thing applied for even the championship clubs? Um, some of them who also may have, um, you know, big histories and big owners. That's going to present a few challenges in itself. I do definitely believe that um, the Premier League, um, what it should do is um, really make an insistence on every single club conduct an audit. And I did mention this backstage. Arsenal definitely need to do an audit to make sure that um, we can explain some of our financial decisions and have our finances in order. Because um, some of our decisions that we've been uh, we've made in recent times have been dodgy, to say the very least. And, um, you know, the golden share thing, as I've said, Obviously, you know, we've had talk about the idea of, um, you know, fan ownership and maybe if the fans were made to, um, uh, you know, have more of a say, then it would be um, good. But then as we saw in some of the uh, riots at Old Trafford around about, um, I want to say, maybe two years or so ago, fans are quite emotional. And um, I don't know if you can necessarily even trust them to make um, the right decisions for the club, uh, club, even though their passion is... uh, you know, unparalleled. So if you were to put every single premiership club under part ownership of the Premier League, then in theory, as I said, it would be really good because there would be a greater level of accountability and you'd have watchdogs everywhere, you know, telling them, you know, you can't do things this way. You've got to answer to us. You've got to make sure that you um, report to us. 
But then given how, um, you know, the VARC situation has been handled by the Premier League, do we really have enough faith in these um, idiots at the top to be able to, you know, handle those things properly? And then you're just opening up another can of worms there. I just think that it would be, um, uh, I, I just think for now, um, Craig, we just might need to focus on making sure that clubs are subject to more stringent um, uh, controls with regard to um, potential ownerships. That could be a really good start. And if we can, you know, re um, remove some of these um, dodgy owners, that would be an ideal thing. It sounds good in theory, but it's going to have to be really thought of in greater specificity before it can, you know, really um, take um, heed. And I just don't know if um, any of the clubs themselves would necessarily want to see the Premier sh uh, Premier League have more control than it already has. I don't even know if the Premier League would necessarily be willing to, you know, um, have that sort of an undertaking. And as I've said, Craig, I love the idea. I do like the idea in theory, but I just don't know if it is something that can be um, practical at this point in time. But um, one thing which I am going to do is I will, you know, I will definitely speak of this some idea to uh, some friends of mine and uh, maybe, you know, um, they can have their say on it. Because I tell you what, you've actually um, thought of a wonderful discussion topic. And, um, you know, um, if we can get some of them to um, have a, a chin wag with you and um, give you their perspectives on it, you know, you can have a more complete idea than just listening to the bloke with whom, you know, you're speaking right now. I think, you know, uh, it, it would be a, such a good idea. And maybe you know, from off what, the back of what you've said, you know, maybe it doesn't, it shouldn't be just the Premier League and the EFL that holds that golden share. And like I say, it doesn't need to be much, 5%. It means that, you know, we would be able to see where the finances are going. We, we'd be able to see that, you know, for example, you know, there's, an, there's another really strange situation in, in the EFL. And I don't know if many people are aware of this, but the Crawley situation is absolutely bonkers. You know, it's absolutely bonkers. Now, firstly, I don't think the EFL should have let the Crawley owners, which are effectively a cryptocurrency group or um something oh, boy, that oh, sort it's um I, I don't really understand it to be honest um but they're purchasing it's like a trade of pictures or something i i honestly it's beyond me it's beyond me but it seems like that they're just being dumped into debt seems like that football club is just being dumped into debt um Whereas with that 5% stake, the EFL have, or, you know, a governing body, maybe a new governing body needs to be set up looking at this of people, you know, and by all means, if anybody is watching this and wants to run with this golden chair idea, please do, you know, if, if you want to name it after me, I'm happy to, but I don't really want to be involved in, you know, the actual looking into clubs finances. Cause I wouldn't have a Scooby-Doo what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, if intelligent people were able to look at those figures, you know, on a daily basis and it was flagged up and they go, hold on a minute, there's a real big problem there evolving. They can nip it in the bud there and then for that fan base. They can stop those points deductions there and then, you know, like Ch Chanziri at Sheffield Wednesday, 
you know, big football club. Daeyong at Reading, another big football club. They can take those football clubs off those two people and go, Absolutely. This is what we've got. This is the incoming. So this is the stuff that is coming into this football club. And this is what we need to pay out. Let's keep this club just solvent by doing that for this moment in time. You know, but at both of those clubs, and I wasn't aware of this, both of those clubs have actually sold their stadiums to their owners. That's very much like what Derby have. Mm-hmm. They've sold their stadiums to their owners. It, it just all seems a bit of a... It seems very, very dodgy, very dangerous, and um, lots of rule-breaking. Um, and what happens? What's happened at both of those clubs? They haven't achieved their aims. They haven't achieved the success that maybe they sought out to do. Um, you know, they're not very good business people. Let's be honest, those two aren't. Um, and they're now paying the price. Well, they're not paying the price because, like, let's be honest, Yong hasn't been seen for about 18 months. And Chan Siri um, just has a go at Sheffield Wednesday fans over social media and in email so neither of those men you know care about that those football clubs at all um whereas it's the fans that are left isn't it absolutely i mean you know if it is any consolation as i've said for what it's worth even though um justice may be delayed justice does take place and i believe that those owners will be made to eventually have their judgment day and they will be very harshly judged believe you me but, um, yeah, it, it is really a, it, it's a sad state of affairs. I don't, I'm not saying otherwise. Far from it. But, uh, again, the, um, I'm, ju- I'm just saying that if anyone is able to, you know, take this particular idea and develop it even further, then in theory, yes, um, that would be a wonderful idea. And I really do um, admire you for having the, um, you know, the uh, gumption to actually think of something like that. I think that's really, really, you know... Um, is very thoughtful uh, for um, for want of a, an easier word. I can't think of it right now. And um, you really um, put a lot of um, um, in, a lot of imagination into it. But uh, again, it's something that will obviously have to take a great deal of uh, you know yeah. consideration, and a lot of um, uh, planning will have to um, sort of go into that. But we can we can all agree um, by means of coming to a consensus that all of this um, nonsense regarding um, you know, um, f- um, financial fair play and clubs um, being targeted by dodgy owners. This has to stop. It really does. And uh, any which way that it can be done, you know, I'm all for it. We all are. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. So if anybody wants to take on that idea, go for it. Run with it. Um, because it's Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday and Reading at the moment. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It could be any one of the 92 clubs um, tomorrow. It could be anybody. Um, So, let's be honest, it was once upon a time AFC Bournemouth. Um, So, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, and... I get what some of these fans are like, oh, there are rivals and all that. No, at the end of the day, you know, you wouldn't want any football club to go under because it destroys the whole integrity of the game. The game, regardless of, you know, how big or small that club is, it just ruins it. Look at the season Berry went out of business. You know, Mm -hmm. firstly, that man... You know, and it was a guy called Steve Dale who did it. And we can talk about the Oyston family as well at Blackpool because they come very, very close. But did those people care about those football clubs? You know, Steve Dale, I don't even think ever walked into Bury. I don't think he really knew anything about Bury. Um, all he wanted to do was make money out of it. That seems like it, it was just destroyed, absolutely destroyed by a man who was there only a short space of time. You know, a club like that, who was I can't I can't remember a time when Berry wasn't in the Football League. So, yeah. Um, let's move on from that because there is some other subjects and we've, we've spoken quite a lot but uh, let's cover off this other thing um, that's been announced um, and I did mention it very short, briefly, blue cards what are they thinking of? Are they even thinking? That's the question you should be asking mate <laughs> yeah, exactly. and um, go ahead blue cards, right yes, rugby has got sim bins, but rugby hasn't got goalkeepers so to speak um, rugby is a completely different game. Um, you know, you, you've got other sports as well that have got this sin bin rule. But the sin bin rule just seems to be that, you know, you can rotate players. You know, so when they go in the sin bin, you can say, for example, take off an outfield player. And then, you know, your person in the sin bin, you know then goes and waits, you know, whilst you bring on, say, for example, somebody in goal. And then on, you know, so you can bring on players as and when you want to. Football's not like that. Football's not like that. So where does this start? So you've got a team, you know, they're playing, and a goalkeeper goes in the sin bin. Now, what is normally going to happen, Manny, when the goalkeeper gets sent off on a match? You take an outfield player off and you replace him with a goalkeeper. Yep. Now, this kind of doesn't work when a goalkeeper then goes in the sin bin. So you have to take off an outfield player to actually 
going goal. So you have to take off one to replace him with a goalkeeper to go in goal. But do remember that goalkeeper, your original goalkeeper is in the sim bin. He's going to be coming on in 10 minutes time. So it, it, does, it just doesn't work. It, they haven't thought it. I wish, I wish, 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 wish football would go back to what it used to be, you know, under the years where you had referees, you know, good. I think the refereeing levels have gone down in the Premier League. You had referees like Mark Housey. I'm not just saying that because I spoke to him. Graham Pohl, Jeff Winter. You had these referees who were quality. You know, they they rarely got things wrong. You know, they, they would get things wrong sometimes, human beings. But at the same time, I'd rather that a mistake being made by a human being rather than VAR. You know, firstly, VAR, you know, I'm dead against it. But then you've got also this blue card thing. Just leave the game as it was. It worked. It worked. Or if you are going to do things like VAR and, you know, change, make rule changes, make sure you implement it bloody properly because it's funny how um, at World Cups and European Championships and in European leagues, you know, in Germany, they've got it down to a T. You know, we can't get it down to a T. So why are we implementing it? And the other thing, VAR in FA Cup matches, you can't, I just don't get it, how you can have VAR in Premier League clubs, cup matches, but you can't in, you know, it's got to be one rule for one, one rule for, you know, the same rule for everybody. That's what I'm trying to say. And this blue card thing, I think, is ridiculous. What's your thoughts, Manny? Craig, let me start by telling you why um, we can't or probably won't get um, VAR to a T. It's because the Premier League bosses, and I keep saying this on many, many streams, they um, love the controversy that all of this um, generates. They know that, um, I, I don't know if I've said this on one of our um, podcasts, mm -hmm. but, you know, the fact that we are still, for what it's worth, the most watched league in, you know, um, the world or at least european football means that even if there will be some of these um, ridiculous controversies that you know cheese the heck out of several football fans they're not going to suddenly turn off their telly because um you know they don't like the way things are being done and so um as long as um, that happens we're going to see a lot of this nonsense being uh um uh, taking place with impunity and so when it comes to the um blue card thing and the sin bin idea What's really stupid is they're trying to, um, you know, implement this idea to try to crack down on dissent. There is a way to crack down on dissent. You know, just book the fella. And if he goes out of line, send him off. It's as simple as that. Exactly. The idea that you can just, you know, implement this new system as uh, some sort of an experiment, it's really, um, it's some sacrilegious, I can say. Um, it's the reason why it works very well in rugby, and mind you, this was used um, in rugby league back in the day, and I started yeah. watching International Rugby Union in the early 90s. Thankfully, of course, as an England fan, I don't think I remember seeing Scotland breaking England hearts in 1990, Gavin Hastings and company robbing us of the Grand Slam, but I did see us win two Grand Slams in succession, um, Will Carling and the boys, you know, getting their act together. 
blubbed like a baby when we lost the World Cup final in 91. It was so wonderful to see Jason Leonard exercise those goals in 2003 mm -hmm. on their backyard. But without digressing, the sin bin was used in um, rugby league. It wasn't used in rugby union. And in more recent times, they've used it and it's worked effectively. I did yeah. some commentary work as well um, for the Rugby World Cup for a channel called Coach's Corner, which is owned by a friend of mine named Hanno Trollope, who's based in South Africa. I'm actually a co-host for that channel. And it was wonderful for me to do some work on that because although I loved watching, I've loved watching rugby, I was never quite, you know, really familiar with, um, you know, the rules and specificity. So um, the more I was commentating on them, the more I got um, acquainted with the rules. And the Simbin idea, Craig, was um, used very well in the World Cup final in contrasting incidents with both the uh, um, New Zealand and South African captains, Sam Kane and Sia Khaleesi, respectively. Both of them, of course, had been sin-binned for various degrees of foul play. And um, to be specific, under the sin-bin rule, you basically are sent to the sin-bin for a 10-minute period. And if your um, so-called infraction was um, de is deemed to be a um, very serious foul play or dangerous play, then you are, in fact, um, off for the rest of the game. It happened with Sam Kane. It didn't happen for Khaleesi because Khaleesi was um, a lot smarter in the way he uh, dealt with things, unlike Kane. And, uh, you know, that's sort of how things um, kind of worked. But when you take... Um, you know, the, the sin bin doesn't... Re the, the reason why the sin bin doesn't work is that you can't just um you know send a player to the sin bin or you know um it's a bit it's almost like you know craig um the equivalent of a dunce cap which is given to students yeah and you're told them told you know go stand in the corner with that cap uh and when you're when you're a good little boy or a little girl i'll let we'll let you back into the class it's it sounds really stupid and it's another example of you know the gay um of um more and more um you know, all these little things, um, things which smack more and more of micromanagement. And um, it, it really irritates me to the core. It really does. Um, VAR is good in theory, but it's not being managed very well by the people in charge because they love the, the controversy. If they, they have the wherewithal, you know, they can solve all of these problems. But when you have the uh, sin bin idea, all you're doing basically is just um, adding another you know, complexity to what should be a more simple game, which should be enjoyed. And it's a complexity which, um, you know, is really needless. It's a boondoggle, for want of a nicer word. So, um, to be honest with you, Craig, mate, it's it's really um, just uh, another, you know, means of trying to hog the headlines. I'm not in favor of it. And the sooner this proposal is um, quashed, the better. Now, there is a disclaimer. I do know that it has been tested in the lower leagues, and a lot of people have claimed that it's um, worked in some ways in terms yeah. of trying to, you know, crack down on dissent by a certain percentage. But there comes a time when you try certain things like this, you know, as a means of trying to add efficiency. All you're doing is just making things a lot more complicated and trying to, you know, um, really think too much. Um, you know how you try to overanalyze everything and you suffer from a uh, from something called analysis paralysis? I, I learned that in my MBA um, degree course. Yeah. And I just think that this particular um, idea of having a sin bin and blue cards, all it's going to do is really, you know, um, it, it'll, it'll, it'll just um, completely complicate the game even more effectively, mucking the game up and taking away, you know, 
it'll effectively it won't it won't make um, the referees' um, jobs a lot easier. If anything, it will do a lot more to effectively hamper them because if they believe that um, you know a player um, who's engaging in dissent is worthy of you know being um, sent off and according to the sin bin rule, um, they're decreed otherwise. You know, what does that do for the referee's authority in that respect? It really hasn't been, um, you know, thought out in that case. It hasn't been um, thought out as to why it works in rugby and not in football. And let's also not forget that rugby football has its own, um, you know, professional code of ethics, um, certainly one which puts um, football to shame. A lot of the shenanigans you see... Um, uh, our football is getting up to you won't see the rugby players doing any of that and uh you know it's just um um a means of saying it, it really is needless and it's a case of trying to say well if they're doing it and it works well why can't we do it and the reason why is because it's not meant to be used for us it's some um, working well with them if it isn't really um broken just don't tamper with it let alone fix it so it's a ridiculous idea really yeah, completely agree, completely agree. Well, we've had our moments tonight, haven't we, really? Um, we've tried to put the world to rights, but I think, you know, it's been one of those weeks where, you know, the Everton appeal should be coming out, but it hasn't as yet. Um, you know, you, we never know. It might come out later today as you watch this on Friday. Um, so that could be the case. You know, I've suggested the golden share, which, you know, hopefully I think it's quite a good little idea by myself. And then, of course, the blue cards and VAR as well. But, of course, we travel up to Newcastle this weekend to face Sir Eddie Howe. Um, I think we've said everything we need to say about Eddie um, being a legend, but... Um, I think this is, you know, it's a point now where we need to, well, I think this is a game we need to get something out of, personally, myself, to give us a little bit of impetus, because we've got Man City the week after, but then we've got a great run after the Leicester game, the FA Cup game, but we don't want to go into that match off the back. You know, Man City can scrub that at the end of the day, how many teams are going to be Man City when they're on full flow, as they are at the moment. But at the same time, I think, you know, this game at Newcastle, we should either A, give a very good account of ourselves, um, but I don't think we should roll over like we did against Fulham. Fulham the Fulham game was poor. It was, and listening to the analysis, um, um, which is available on you know the bbc sport webpage you know from uh, a, a number of people saying that you know neto should be dropped he's conceded he conceded another poor goal he also made um, a brilliant save to deny william borges in that game yeah. but such as the goalkeeper people focus on the mistakes now i've been one of those people craig who have been you know very um notable of the fact that uh, that, Ed, uh, that neto has conceded some goals which normally wouldn't um be conceded but the fact is that he also has made some saves. He's not really the complete all-round goalkeeper. And when you have a situation, though, where you've got uh, Mark Travers and um, uh, Radu, of course, who are in um, direct competition with him, Radu, Sam, I mean, he was given his chance in the League Cup game, and I thought he did quite well. 
I don't even know what um, he's done to suddenly be um, back behind Travers in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that uh, some of the, uh, you know, the leadership that Neto has um, provided has been um, quite good. The only problem is now you're in a situation where if you drop him, can you um, conceivably um, replace him? And bear in mind, he was also um, eventually absent from the first team due to personal reasons. That was when he was going through an absolutely horrendous run of form. But then when he came back, he started to um, improve himself. So, look, you've got to um, stick with uh, Neto, at least for the time being. And um, this Newcastle game in particular is going to be a very tricky game because um, when you beat uh, beat them, and I thought that was a very impressive performance. I'm not obviously yeah. trying to butter you up in any way. Um, that was an impressive performance, but that was also when you, um, Newcastle were going through a little bit of a slump, injury-induced, and uh, that, of course, led to those um, scenes where uh, Kieran Trippier, among others, which were you know, dealing with some angry fans who said that that wasn't good enough, and Trippier was trying to say, Oi, lads, cut us some slack. We've got some injuries and so forth. And, um, you know, recently the trend, um, how Newcastle have been playing, is that they've started to get some pretty good results because in many of the games they've played, especially against City at uh, St. James's Park, they played quite brilliantly um, for the most part and were very, very unlucky to lose to um, that Oscar Bob um, winner, that breathlessly late winner um, that day. But then since then, they've had some really good victories, including against Aston Villa, where they, you know, completely uh, obliterated their unbeaten home record in the Premiership. And Villa, of course, um, have gone through a bit of a slump. But, I mean, they're obviously hoping that um, with some of their injured stars coming back, um, they could be, uh, you know, a little bit better. News is that the ex-Cherry Tyrone Mings could potentially be back for them before the end of the season, which will be a real um, boost. But yeah. Newcastle are starting to get some better results and play, and they're playing a lot better now. And so you're traveling up to St. James's Park. It is uh, not going to be easy. And I think you, should, you shouldn't you should even think. And credit to you lot. You're very sensible fans. None of you are having any impressions that you will do to Newcastle what you did to Manchester United at Old Trafford and give them an absolute hiding, which, believe you me, was absolutely <laughs> glorious to see. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be a game, obviously, where um, Andoni Ariola will have to really um, inspire the boys to um, do a lot better because what's worrying is that, you know, you had four, 25 shots against them. You were dominant in that game. But simple defensive mistakes cost you, and it was a return to the bad habits of uh, earlier on in the season. And that is something that um, Iriola has to shake off. He has to change. And how he does that will be interesting to see. And um, you keep mentioning about how your defense is um, almost um, often, very t- too often being patched up um, effectively. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, against Fulham, you had Lloyd Kelly playing at uh, left back, and he was hooked up at half time for Milos um, Kerkes. And uh, you even had uh, this chap named uh, uh, Roman Favre, who came on the 85th yes. minute for Adam Smith. And um, your new signing, Unal, played about um, 20 minutes, and I think for, by all accounts, he looked quite good. But Tavernier has yeah, gotten. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, mate. Yeah, he, he looks decent, actually, you know. So, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed. But, yeah, like you say there, you know, 
Favia, um, who come back. Of course, we signed him and we sent him straight on loan to Lorient. I, we didn't think we was going to see him this season. Um, I think he still needs to get up to pace in the Premier League, but you know, I think we don't want to go back into the same rut. We need to go back to this direct play in a football, you know, where we was playing nice football, but was a little bit more direct. Um, you know, the Fulham game was just disappointing. It was. It was. Disappointing. Yeah, it was disappointing. It was. And I think um, Tavernier hasn't been particularly at his best for a couple of weeks. He's a great player. I really like Tavernier. But at the same yes. time, I don't think he's been great recently. Um, does he need a rest? You know, who who knows? But um, what do you think? You know, I think we all think that, you know, we are going to be fine because we have got this run coming up that we mentioned last week as well, where we've got the likes of... Burnley, Sheffield United, Luton, Everton. We've got a game against Wolves in there as well. Um, you know, it's a winnable... It, well, let's be honest. It's a run of games where, to be honest, we should get, you know, a very, very decent return, which should see us safe. But, you know, do you think... Um, do you think it's a bit optimistic, Manny, that, you know, going to Newcastle and thinking we should be picking something up at this point? I wouldn't necessarily say optimistic, but as I've said, um, you know, you are coming up against a Newcastle team that is playing a lot better and is starting to get a little yeah. bit of its um, groove back in a way. Um, you know, um, they have had some injury um, problems, um, you know, um, Pope being out until potentially the end of the season is an absolute um, hammer blow because although Martin Dubravka is a, a decent keeper and has performed well in quite a few games, he's certainly uh, not quite near the uh, level of quality that uh, Dubravka is. And, uh, you know, um, with um, Isak coming back and a few others also um, returning to the picture, it's a case of effectively, uh, you know, um, a sort of a recovery. And so Newcastle are going to be the type of team that will easily um, punish you if you make any um, mistakes. So that's yeah. why you have to avoid making the mistakes you made against Fulham against this uh, Newcastle team. Because I'll tell you what, for, if, um, I wouldn't necessarily go so far to say that Fulham are a really good team, but they are decent and they have certainly um, had a great um, home record at Craven Cottage. And uh, they will obviously, uh, you know, um, punch above their weight as they've done under Silver this season. As an Arsenal fan, I remember that 2-1 uh, shellacking they gave us where we looked absolutely dire and deserved mm. to um, lose. So news, um, Newcastle will obviously be a different kettle of fish and you will have to really work, um, work hard for to get something there. And I also want you to um, exercise a bit of caution about you know, um, the winnable nature of your games against um, Luton and Everton and company, because let's not forget, under Gary O'Neill last season, your final game of the Premiership was against um, Ever um, Everton. Yeah, uh, you, had the, you had the chance, Craig, to, um, you know, condemn them to uh, the Championship, and you couldn't quite um, do that. 
And uh, that, of course, was Gary O'Neill's final game as manager because the consensus was as great a job as he did in making sure that you lot stayed up. The fact that um, stayed up long before the end of the season, the fact that um, you guys ended up, you know, uh, falling um, so sharply after that, losing games you should have won, was not something that impressed um, Bowley in any way. And that was why he saw it fit to bring in um, Senor um, Iriola. So you will have to be a little bit careful with this run-in. But, and as far as Newcastle are concerned, you've got to avoid the mistakes. And so going back to your question on Tavernier, I'm taking a look at the, um, uh, the lineup again. Tavernier, Alex Scott, and um, Sinistera were all brought off with about um, 20 to 25 minutes left in the game. Yeah. And um, those three attacking midfielders who were supposed to be the attacking pivot I think um, they either looked um, tired or, by all some accounts, they didn't really have good games of their own. Um, is Brooks injured, by the way? Brooks is at Southampton. See, this oh, is crazy. Is you know the loan move, of course, happened. You know, you know he went to Southampton. I just, I just don't get it. Don't get that. Don't get that at all. And he set up to in their game against Huddersfield, which they won four three. Um, Rothwell scored the other two. So, I honestly don't get why we've sent him to Southampton. Don't get me wrong, you know, I know it sounds weird. Some people might go, oh, well, we don't want Southampton back up. But, you know, let's be honest, everybody misses their local rivals. Um, and, you know, We've enjoyed our bit of a ding-dong, shall we call it, with Southampton, you know, recently. Um, ding-dong is just about right. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's like, honestly, if, if Liverpool, well, for, if Everton was to go down, Liverpool fans would be really dejected. It's like Man United fans didn't really know what to do with themselves when Man City went down. You know, they didn't even know even further when, you know, Leeds went down. Um, so you've got this, you know, it's like, you know, I know that, um, you might, you know, if Spurs went down, Manny, if Spurs got relegated, you'd probably have a laugh about it for a season, but then you'd be like, I want them back actually, because it's a bit, it's good fun. <laughs> so yeah, I think, <laughs> I don't get that, but I digress. But yeah, as saying about that, Brooks going to Southampton was, I think it's just daft move. I just think it's overall silly completely, move. Completely daft because, um, you know, by all um, your, your accounts, Craig, he's actually doing pretty well over there for the Saints. And, you yeah. know, his, um, I don't know if he had some sort of um, a bust up with um, Iriola because you don't, um, you don't just, uh, you know, offload a player of his ability and potential who's come back from, uh, you know, cancer and uh, is obviously very popular with the local group. Mm. Um, I really don't know what the whole shenanigans involved there is. Um, as good a player as Kiefer Moore is, I understand sending him to Ipswich because obviously, yeah. you know, maybe he's not the type of striker that um, Iriola wants. But Brooks as a midfielder offers so much more then well, people will, um, for which people will give him credit, and to send him away, I mean, um, you know, it certainly was a little bit, um, you know, uh, it, it was absolutely um, bonkers, as you would say. But uh, you know, 
there's nothing much that can be done about that. All that can be can be done is that you know, is that Bournemouth will have to make do with them what they have. And so going back to the question on whether or not Tavernier needs a rest, if you still had Brooks at the club, then yeah, I'd say yes. But given yeah. that um, your midfield options are a little bit thinner on the ground, I'd say, you know what, you've got to um, stick and um, twist. It's uh, yeah. painful, but. It probably has to be done unless there are other options. Having said that, of course, looking on the bench, you had Otara on the bench who came on after 69 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Kloivert was never, wasn't um, allowed to come on. Semenyo could have come on and then Unal. So I'll tell you what, I wouldn't mind benching Tavernier for Newcastle and giving some of these other guys a chance. Yeah, I like Semenyo. Semenyo's an excellent player. You know, they're both excellent players. Semenyo is an excellent player. Um, Tavernier is an excellent player. He just probably looks a little bit leggy. Atara, I really like Atara. Some people really criticise him in the fan base. Again, it's some of our fan base that, you know, don't really... Um, I don't know what it is. You know, maybe just feel that they're privileged enough that they need to have players that, you know, don't make mistakes. It's like when Lloyd Kelly, you know, made mistakes against Burnley. Yeah, he had a terrible game, but at the same time, you know, to be absolutely slammed like he was, was completely and utterly fair, unfair. Um, but, yeah, to, the only reason I think that Brooks might have been sent out on loan to Southampton um, is because of the intensity of the matches. I think Iriola, and this is this is the thing. This is the thing. Um, Iriola is asking a lot from these play set of players, and he's expecting them to play at a high level. You know, high intensity. This pressing football, it's going to take a lot out of them. And maybe Brooks can't do that at this moment in time. But you know, fingers crossed. You know, with this loan. He'll be able to come back a better player because I really don't want to see him leave. I'll be. I agree completely. It's 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 a little bit a bit like with what um you know his former youth teammate back in Spain, uh, Mikel Arteta has done. Obviously, he's wanted to try to you know instill his um, own style of play, which um, quite frankly I think is nothing more than a recycled version of um, Pep Guardiola's tactics at Manchester City. And yeah. when they come off, they come off, and when they don't, they look absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, some players like um, Kieran Tierney, who's a fabulous um, traditional left back, um, can't quite um, hack the um, demands of being able to play in this um, inverted style. I call it the perverted inverted style. So, yeah, I, I do hope, like you, that Brooks comes back to um, Bournemouth a better player. And maybe, you know, he could, um, um, it, um, his return will benefit Bournemouth and he will be um, all the better for him too. But sadly, you know, what worries me is that um, if he is deemed in subsequent seasons to not quite be able to um, cut the mustard, according to Iriola's liking, then um, he may end up being one of those players who could end up leaving. And I know we had discussions on who might be going. I really don't want to see David Brooks leave. I didn't want to see Kieran Tierney go on loan to Real Sociedad, but... Um, you know, um, our Scotsman is having the time of his life in Spain. Uh, they're in the Champions League. And whenever I know he's been injured there too, but whenever he's um, played, he's played um, quite well. He's still expected to be fit enough to uh, do a job for Scotland in his upcoming European Championships. So um, maybe, um, 
you know, it's going to be sad if um, Brooks um, ends up leaving, and that will be some way into the future if and when it happens. But um, for now, I just think um, I really, really hope that um, uh, Iriola is completely convinced in his um, belief that Brooks would have benefited from a move away because there w have been, there will be some games where, you know, um, he might be thinking this bloke could have done a job for us, just like we miss Kieran Tierney so much, and he would have been really beneficial for us in more than a few games. But, uh, yeah. you know, it is what it is. You um, roll with the punches, the manager makes the decisions, all those cliches. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think on that note, it's been a very thorough cherry picking um again we've covered three very very big topics there um i think we probably better end it but i'm sure you'll be back next week manny won't you you don't need to be um uh, i'm sure i mean you know i'm always going to be back you know the drill mate just uh you call i come running and i do like these sessions i know that when you see this on playback it looks as though i'm taking a look at my phone but i am you know intently listening um to everything you have to say i have the uh, knack of being able to multitask that way it's <laughs> not an attempt to be disrespectful to you in any way by any means but that's just sort of the way i do it and um this particular talk we've had the idea for uh, a golden share for the premiership i really um the more I think about it, the more I think it definitely does have potential and promise. But as I've said, um, Craig, it is something that will require a great deal of thought. But you know what? If um, you know more and more people agree to this, it is eventually um, you know, um, applied, you might just be the person who saved the um, uh, future for several football clubs. Well, wow. wow. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll I'll I'll, I'll take that. But um, how we get there, I don't know. You know, I, I I don't want to be on this. I don't want to be on this panel having a look at finances of football clubs. I can assure you that because I wouldn't have a Scooby Doo what all of it means. But I tell you what, leave it somebody... to me. I mean, I, I've got I've got a master's degree in finance. Let me do it. Well, I mean, it'll give me are. a chance to it'll give me a chance to get some work experience yeah. <laughs> there we are uh, okay well i thought up the idea manny's implemented it there we go we've got it all sorted there we are uh this time next year we'll be millionaires and on that oh, note... don't start with that <laughs> <laughs> so 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 now you're dell boy i suppose that makes me um uh would i be rodney or trigger i don't know who. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'd probably be Rodney. I don't know. Uh, Boise. No, mate, this Boise. Is, you're, you're the one. You're the one who thought of it. You'd be Del Boy. I mean, you might not have the slick Cockney um, patter that he does, but at least you're a lot more honest than he is. And of course, um, may the Lord rest your rest your soul, Roger Lloyd Pack. Yes, most definitely, most definitely. Well, I think we better end it on that note. But until next ones, up the cherries. And we'll see you in the next video. Chateau Nerf de Pap. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.